Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women Podcast, where I sit down with mamas to talk about their health, their work, their parenting, and all the different ways that they're keeping it together. Juna is a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your pregnancy and motherhood journey. Everything we do is to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Marcy Crouch, a women's health PT who specializes in the pelvic floor. This is part one of a conversation because I had about 100 questions for Marcy and we only got so far. Marcy and I talk about postpartum care in the U.S. and the rise of PTs specializing in this area. We also discuss pelvic floor health, the importance of a functional core, and the different ways we can work the pelvic floor through breath work and exercise. We also get into pubic symphysis diastasis, perennial massage, painful sex, perennial tearing, and episiotomies. If you are pregnant and the word pelvic floor is a little foreign to you, this is the episode to listen to. And if it's not foreign to you, my guess is you'll still learn a lot. I really hope you enjoy. I'm very excited to, Ooh, to talk to you because there's so many things like that. I'm like, this is this is like uh, I have questions related to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. I know everyone's like, can we talk about my vagina? I'm like, yes, we can. <laughs> we totally. Every vagina is different. <laughs> That's right. I'm like, but let's do it. Cool. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, thank you, Marcy, so much for joining me today. I'm very excited to have you on the podcast. No, thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, why don't we start by you introducing yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Marcy. I'm a physical therapist. Um, I got my doctorate back in um, 2000 and. 10, I believe. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have a specialty in women's health, physical therapy. I, um, treat women during pregnancy and after and help them kind of regain strength and function of their bodies, manage pain, stop leaking, that sort of thing. And I've only done this type of physical therapy. Um, I found out about it when I was a newlywed, um, in grad school, mm -hmm. kids weren't even, on the horizon yet, <laughs> like not even in my wheelhouse. And um, I learned about it my first year of grad school. And I just was like, I have to do this. There's such a need and not a lot of PTs work in this area. So um, this is really the only type of uh, PT that I've ever done. Um, my husband is a collegiate volleyball coach. So he, we move a lot uh, for his job. So I've had the opportunity to work in many different places under some really amazing therapists. So um, I've learned a lot in the last 10 years. Um, and I did residency right out of grad school. My husband was working in Texas at the time. So I did a residency there, which was wonderful. Um, and then we kind of moved all over the place, um, ended up in Portland, Oregon. I had my two boys there. I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old now. Mm -hmm. Um, two boys keeping me on my toes. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. They were gigantic. My first baby was, um, nine pounds, eight ounces. And my second baby was 10 pounds, two ounces. Wow. Um, so my vagina has definitely like been through the ringer. So I, <laughs> I tell all my patients, like, not only am I the owner of my clinic, but also a user, you know, like that mm -hmm. old, like I'm right there with you. Um, so firsthand experience of vaginal deliveries of um, large babies. Um, and then just last year, my husband got a job down here in Los Angeles and we moved the family down and I decided I would 
um, try and hang a shingle and open my own clinic. So I did. Um, we are in the South Bay of LA and I run a private practice, see patients three days a week. Um, and only like pregnancy, postpartum, pelvic floor issues, basically the only thing I've ever treated. I refer out if somebody says they have knee pain. I'm like, I <laughs> have not put my hands on a knee in like a long time, but um, <laughs> ever since, yeah, grad school. But um, yeah, I love it. I vaginas all day long. I mean, what can I, what can I say? <laughs> That's amazing. It was actually probably a great place to start your own clinic just because I feel like in a lot of areas in the country, Sadly, it's probably mm-hmm. not like women's health and like this is yeah. like, it's, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but like, is it starting to feel like it's becoming more popular? Yeah. I think- or is that just the world I'm in? No, no, I know. It's always, I know the world that we're in, we're always like, there are so many. Um, No, I yeah. think, <laughs> I think the trend has been over the last, so, so I've been doing pelvic floor work since um my third year in grad school. So that was 2006. No, sorry. I went to school in 2010. So 2009, like right before I graduated. Okay. Um, and back then, there were not a lot of pelvic floor PTs just kind of in general. And there were not a lot of residencies, which is basically okay. like an extra year that you do after you graduate where you're back in the cadaver lab, you're back in school, you have clinical mentoring, mentorship, you're teaching a little bit. It's just an extra year of kind of immersion into whatever specialty you would like to go in. So there's like ortho and sports and neuro. And then at the time, there were only like three women's health residencies. Um, but now there are a lot more and schools are starting to introduce a little bit of pelvic floor, uh, work into the, into their curriculums, um, where I didn't get any pelvic floor in my curriculum. I got anatomy, um, my first year, but there was no pelvic pain or pregnancy and postpartum or anything like that. So I do think that there is a shift and there are more, people going into pelvic floor rehab, either as new grads, or maybe you've been working in orthopedics for a few years, and then you're seeing there's this like need of the pelvic floor that's not really being addressed. And so you, you know, somebody might take like a pelvic floor one or two course and kind of incorporate it into their orthopedic practice and then start to kind of go down the road of women's health. But, um, there are not a lot. Um, I mean, here in the South Bay where I am, it's pretty big. I mean, LA is huge. And just in the South mm-hmm. Bay, there's two of us, I would say. Okay. Um, there's like a couple other who are kind of um, smaller practices like myself, but there's not like, it's not as rampant as you would see like ortho or sports or that sort of right. thing. Um, but I think it is getting, I think there are more. I mean, I'm, I get a lot of interest from students and um, I think social media plays a big part in that. You know, women are kind of um, looking for different answers and PT students are being like, Oh, what's this field? And what is this? And so, which makes me, you know, so happy. I want there to be more of us out there, you know, because there's so many people who would benefit from it, the more, the better, you know, that we're really here to serve our patients. So the more people out there that can do that, I'm like thrilled about it makes me wonder, like, because I don't think, and you, I mean, I, you would know more than I would, but like, I don't think that there has, like, it's not that our generation of mothers are experiencing more pelvic floor issues than the generation of mothers before us and the generation of mothers before them. Were they just 
were they just like, all right, we're dealing with this and we're like, we don't accept this. Like, I, you know, like, well, I guess like, yeah. why is the trend changing? I love that question. And I think, yes, that is the answer, what you just said. Okay. What I've <laughs> seen, yes, what I've seen, um, and I do this, this is all I do. So this is like mainly the patient population that I've seen is, and women are still getting this response when they go to their healthcare practitioners, maybe eight weeks postpartum, 10 weeks postpartum, two months post, three months post saying, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm leaking urine when I laugh or cough, or it still hurts me to have sex a year out, or, you know, my abdomen is doing something funny. Like what is, what's happening right here? Or my C-section scar hurts, or, you know, it hurts me to poop or, you know, I can't Mm -hmm. go back to exercise. And the response traditionally has been, well, just had a baby. Right. Yes. What do you expect? And I think when somebody is, first of all, it's hard to talk to a medical practitioner about symptoms anyways. Like I, even I have a hard time. Like when I go in for my doctor, I have to like make a list. And then halfway through, I'm like, I forgot what I was going to say. And like my brain Mm -hmm, mm all the way. So I think that's hard. And then when you add on something that's like very vulnerable and the response is, oh, well, that's normal or, oh, well, you had, you just, a baby just came out of you. Of course you're going to feel different. People retreat back and they think like, oh, okay, well, I guess I just have to live with this. Like what, there's no answers for me, you know, or like, oh, you're going to have another baby. Like what's the point of dealing with it now? Like it's just going to get ruined again, which is not true. And we can talk about that later. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think historically when that response is being said over and over and over again, coupled with the fact that it is kind of a taboo topic. I mean, like my mom never was like openly talking about her vagina to me, you know, I mean, I openly talk about my vagina to anyone who will listen, but like (laughs) back then, I don't think people were doing that. Um, And, you know, you didn't really talk about it with your friends maybe. And then you're just like, okay, well, I guess it's just normal. I'll just wear a pad or I guess I just won't have sex or I guess I just have to deal with it. But now I think with information so readily available to us through social media, through networking, through this kind of like recent women's movement that's happening, Mm -hmm. we're starting to be like, yeah, I don't accept that answer. So what I'm going to find something on my own and I'm going to come to my physician or my nurse or my PT and be like, hey, I've read about this. Somebody said this. Like, what do you think? Can we do this? Um, so I do think like the shift is changing a little bit. Most of my refer- people that come in are like ne- not really referred by their physician. It's all like direct access. Um, oh, wow. I get, I very, very, very rarely get a physician referral or if I do, it's somebody asking their physician for physical therapy or the, phys- right. or the physician just kind of generally being like, oh yeah, you should try PT like anywhere you want to go. It's not like specifically you have X, Y, and Z, go see this person. I'm going to write the prescription and we're going to work together on a plan. It's just like people are like, oh, I want to go to PT. And they're like, okay. Or they're told why that's not going to do anything, Mm. which is like so frustrating because it's not true. And then patients are like, oh, well, this isn't like why. So it's just, that's like a whole nother podcast. But um, (laughs) yeah, I definitely think it's shifting a little bit for sure. And I think that we're becoming a little bit more open and talking about these things with kind of this 
um, candid, honest, truthful, raw way. You know, there are a lot of celebrities out there now that are openly talking about like their issues postpartum and they're, you know, loving their postpartum bodies and figuring out, you know, what, like what the hell no one told me that it's going to hurt when I poop after I have a baby. And they're like giving, they're kind of opening the door for women to be like, oh yeah, me too. What the hell? And then, right. you know, my hope is that the conversation continues and that women are starting to be like, yeah, I'm going to keep looking for answers and keep like assembling my team. Um, so yeah, I think it's shifting for sure. Yeah. It, I mean, you know, like I, I, it, it, what is shocking to me is like, I, I forget how much I know now mm-hmm. and how little I knew when I first got pregnant. Right. And like, I, you know, I was even, we were at a shoot for Juna the other day and I asked two of the models if they, like, as before they were doing core work, I just wanted to assess, you know, like what their level was. And I'm like, do, have you had any ab separation or diastasis? They had never heard of the word diastasis. Mm. Um, like that was just like what I, I don't even know what that is, yeah. and then they also hadn't heard of the word kegel. Oh, okay, <laughs> so, yeah. so I was like, oh my god, and and like quite frankly, like I didn't do any pelvic floor training my first pregnancy. I didn't know what pelvic floor was, mm-hmm. and um, and so and so like I and, and I mean I didn't have diastasis or that wasn't something I struggled with either pregnancy. But like I still knew what it was mm-hmm. because like one of my friends had talked about it. But I but it I do take for granted how much I know now. Yes. And I try and I'm sure that you too, you it's like you have to kind of put yourself in the very beginner's shoes and think like, okay, how do I reach this person when they don't even know that they need me? Right. Right. Exactly. And I it's such a good point. And I think like it was very serendipitous serendipitous to me for me personally that that professor talked about the pelvic floor in the way that she did because Mm -hmm. if I had not no I mean I didn't know what she was talking about I mean first of all I was like in my 20s so I was like (laughs) living the dream you know had no idea Mm -hmm. you know the the example that she I mean I will never forget this like it's I remember where I was sitting I remember what I was wearing. I remember the temperature of the classroom. I mean, it was one of those like life altering moments. And the example Mm -hmm. that she used in class was of a woman who had a significant tear in her pelvic floor and perineum during delivery and postpartum, Mm -hmm. she was having a lot of um, difficulties, pain, um, you know, bowel and bladder issues, that sort of thing. And I remember just staring at the professor and my jaw just like, I had to like pick my jaw up off the floor and I looked at her and I was like, wait, you tear during delivery? What <laughs> do you tear? Like I had no, like my brain was not even, like it had never even thought about that because like I didn't have kids and I didn't, I, like yes. none of my friends did. And like nobody talks about the pelvic floor. And like I was active growing up, you know, I rode horses, I competed, I was a rower in college, like I did a lot of strength training and nobody talks about pelvic floor work in athletes yep. or pelvic floor work with lifting or pre- so like I didn't even I couldn't even like wrap my head around that and when she said that to me I was like okay. Like this is something that is like going to be like life altering for me. And that, and from that moment, I was like, that is where I have to go with my career. And I just like kind of 
went for it. But to your point of saying that, like, you don't know, it's, you don't know, you just, you don't know Mm -hmm. what you don't know. And like, we can't just look, I mean, we know, we all know we have a bicep, like we look at our bicep and we're like, oh, look, I'm doing a bicep curl. And oh, look, it's getting shorter. And look, it's moving my hand to my shoulder. But like, we don't, think about the pelvic floor that way we're not like looking at our vulvas or looking at our perineum and being like oh look my perineum just ascended like we don't like (laughs) think about that because nobody is like oh yeah that's an important part of core work or just normal everyday function and so it's almost like we hear about it and about dysfunction and problems like after the fact right you know and what people have been telling me for 10 years is that and it is still to this day, it's like, oh God, I wish somebody would have talked about this or, oh man, I wish I would have yeah. known going into my labor, you know, what to expect in terms of like pushing and mm-hmm. even like just what it feels like to bear down and like how to get, like what it feels like to poop after a baby. Like nobody ever really talks about that stuff. So you don't know what you don't know. And for me, the struggle has always been a little bit of walking this fine line of education and empowerment, you know, before there are problems without right. like installing fear too. Yeah. Just like a healthy uh, bit of information. Right. Right. <laughs> and just being like, look, I'm not trying to scare anyone. Like you're going to be fine, but <laughs> know that this isn't like normal. You know what I mean? And that right. like, you don't have to live like this. And if you're feeling like your vagina is falling out, you know, like you can ask for help for that and that there are things that we can do to help you but instead of, but, but then we also don't want to be like scaring people to being like, Oh my God, my vagina is going to fall out. Cause like, it's not, but at the same time, right. like, we need a little bit of this kind of, you know, at education in my opinion is, you know, empowerment. And what I get from most of my patients and clientele in multiple states, Oregon, California, Texas, you know, the Bay Area in California, Los Angeles, like is the common theme of nobody told me about this ahead of time. <laughs> or even at like the six week checkup, nobody told me right. about this. Nobody prepared me for this. Nobody gave me answers. Nobody gave me a plan. And like that is unacceptable to me. Yeah. So when in the like women's life cycle do you typically see them? Uh, So it just kind of depends. I see – so pelvic floor PT can really be – for anybody at any age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are <laughs> pelvic floor PTs that work with children who have um, constipation, bedwetting, um, mm-hmm. frequent UTIs, that sort of thing. Um, I did take a peds class like a million years ago, but then we moved to Portland and I never really applied it. So, um, But they do amazing work and I love my pediatric PT colleagues. They're just like unbelievable. Um, and then there's like female athlete. We know that from literature that female athletes um, are experiencing urinary leakage with high dynamic activities, volleyball, Mm -hmm. gymnastics, trampoline, track and field, jumping, they're leaking urine. And Mm -hmm. that is not normal. That is an indication that something in the system is not working. So there should be pelvic floor physical therapy incorporated in with these young athletes, high school to college age. 
whatever the case may be. And like as a tangent, you know, my kind of research brain is like, well, what would happen? Wouldn't it be cool to do a study on like athletes who are leaking, (laughs) who get pelvic floor PT versus athletes who aren't leaking or athletes are leaking who aren't getting pelvic floor PT and then follow them through their pregnancies and postpartum and see if there's like a change. I'm just curious about that. Like if we started earlier, Mm -hmm. would that change outcomes? Like, I'm just curious about that. I think that would be really cool. Um, so there's that. And then, um, like, you know, in a perfect world, I would love to see everybody during their pregnancy, whether they have symptoms or not to just start to prepare for delivery, talk about what to expect postpartum, safe exercise throughout your pregnancy. You know, I have a lot of being in the beach cities, you know, I have a lot of um, beach volleyball players, a lot of very fit mamas who want to continue this kind of high level of exercise during pregnancy. So I need to help them achieve that in a safe and appropriate way um, Mm -hmm. and then help guide them when it's time to kind of scale back a little bit, you know, get them ready for delivery. And then the six-week postpartum checkup is a great time to start with physical therapy once you're kind of cleared for exercise and sex. And then like the post, like postpartum never ends in my opinion. So anytime after you have a baby, like you're not no longer postpartum at six weeks. You know what I mean? Like it keeps going. So anytime postpartum, whether you're a year out or 10 years out is appropriate um, if you're having symptoms or not, just to see what's going on down there. Um, and then of course, like as we start to age and go through age related changes to muscle, muscle and tissue and strength and posture and bones and head into menopause, um, then that's another appropriate time to help with some things that menopausal women are experiencing, such as leaking pain with sex, that sort of thing. So there's really like no stopping point for pelvic floor PT. Um, it's appropriate for basically like... (laughs) all populations. Um, we see men also who are experiencing pelvic pain and bladder dysfunction. Um, we see people that are transitioning, um, from gender reassignment surgery or gender confirmation surgery. We see anyone breast cancer survivors. Yeah. It's like, I mean, my specialty is more like pregnancy, postpartum and bowel bladder sexual dysfunction. Um, Mm -hmm. And since I opened my clinic, that's my main population right now is like mamas and pregnancy and postpartum, which is like really kind of my, like what lights me up inside. Um, So that's kind of what I've been fortunate enough to kind of focus on, but there's lots of avenues. So let's talk about the pelvic floor Mm. because, you know, I don't want to assume that everyone even knows what it is. So if you could go ahead and kind of discuss it. Yeah, let's talk. Let's talk pelvic floor. <laughs> um, okay. So the pelvic floor is a group of muscles. And when we talk about muscle, we talk about different types of muscle. Skeletal muscle is what we have all, like what moves our body around, like what moves our joints around. Biceps, <clears throat> your back muscles, your quads, your hamstrings, your calves. It's all skeletal muscle. Pelvic floor muscles are made up of the same stuff as those type of muscles. They're also skeletal muscle. So they are at the same sort of risk, I guess, um, for injury as any other muscle is, as far as like overuse, strain, fatigue, weakness, that sort of thing. 
they lie at the bottom of our pelvis. So if you think about the pelvic bone kind of as like a ring, it's like a circle of bones, the pelvic floor sits kind of like a hammock, basically, underneath that. It goes from front to back, so from your pubic bone, kind of like right where your like pubic hair is, that pubic bone right there, and the muscles attached to the back of that, and then they sling backwards and attach to your tailbone and kind of up the tailbone a little bit, so front to back. And then side to side, they go from your sit bone to your sit bone. So ischial tuberosity to ischial tuberosity. Within the pelvic floor muscles in women, we have three holes. <laughs> the urethra, <laughs> the vagina, and then the rectum. And they all kind of pierce through the pelvic floor muscles. So because of how these muscles are oriented in the body, they basically are considered like the floor of the core. They're like holding everything up. If we mm-hmm. didn't have a pelvic floor, like there would be no bottom to our trunk. Right. Okay. okay. So the main, there are three main functions. The first one is support because it's basically lifting us up against gravity, supporting our pelvic organs, our body weight, um, our intestines, a baby that's getting gigantic, a placenta, a growing uterus, <laughs> increased blood volume, all that stuff. The second is continence. So within the pelvic floor muscles, there are sphincters that are like little round muscles that basically just close down the urethra and the bladder neck and close down the rectal and anal opening to keep us from leaking out gas or poop or pee. So as the rectum is filling with poop and as the bladder is filling with urine, those muscles and the sphincters turn on to like close off the opening. So the bladder can can continue to fill with urine and we stay dry in a perfect world. And then when we go to the bathroom, we make the decision to go, we sit down or we take our pants off, we sit down, the pelvic floor muscles relax and open and then urine and poop come out in a perfect world. So that's the second function. The third function is a sexual function because the first layer of the pelvic floor, we have three layers attached to the sides of the clitoris and they help with orgasm. It's like that kind of rhythmic contraction when we have an orgasm. And they also house Mm. like all the nerves of the pelvic girdle and the skin and the clitoris and the labia and that sort of thing. But those are like the three kind of main functions. The miraculous thing about the pelvic floor, which is like, you know, totally like geeking out over, is that it's the only type of muscle that lies across our body. So it's like the only one that lies like in this plane. It's like across that way. Mm -hmm. Our bicep and our hamstring and our calves are like one muscle, (laughs) like on one side. Like they, they're not like the pelvic floor is like the mothership basically of our trunk and our core. So because of this, we don't ever really get to like rest it. Like we can rest our bicep or if we like strain, have a shin splint, we like put a boot on or whatever. And we like just let everything calm down. Like we don't, we can't do that with the pelvic floor. So the demands on this group of muscle are exponential. And during pregnancy, the mechanical demand of those muscles just holding us up against this like increase of weight and um, pressure 
is amazing. I mean, nine months of right. been doing this, holding us up, keeping everything up in there. And then for labor, they have to do the exact opposite. They have to right. and, and get out of the way. They just have to move and stretch basically to the circumference of the pelvic bowl so the baby can descend through the vaginal canal and birth canal. And then they have to go back in. <laughs> like biceps don't do that. Right. Biceps don't do that. And let's add something else on top of that for delivery. Like maybe there is a perineal tear or there is a trauma. And so now we're adding in stitches and scar tissue mm-hmm. and surgical repair of an injury. And then there's nothing after that for mom. Right. And and we're just kind of expected that these muscles are just going to kind of like do what they always did before. But from like a motor control or rehab standpoint, it's very challenging for muscle to do that without a little bit of guidance. So think about like if you had a rotator cuff, which is the muscles in your shoulder, Say you had a tear in the rotator cuff, like a baseball player, weekend warrior, baseball player, professional athlete, whatever, tears the rotator cuff. We don't say to them, oh, well, you play baseball. What do you expect? We do rehab before surgery, after surgery, for a long time until they're cleared to go back to their prior level of function. They don't just go back to hitting a baseball, they're guided there and they're rehabbed from a neuromuscular standpoint, from a strengthening standpoint, from a pain standpoint. They're giving all these tools and new mamas, nothing. Zero. Zero. And then not only that, but now you have to keep a baby alive on no sleep (laughs) with an abdomen that's not working a baby that's getting bigger, hormone drop, and you're just supposed to like handle it all. Not to mention like adding in a C-section on top of that, if you had a C-section, which is a major abdominal surgery with zero inpatient or outpatient physical therapy. Zero. Right? (laughs) When you hear it described like that, you're like, this is really just (laughs) insanity. And because we all do it too, right? Like we all – like we get through it. (laughs) We do. We do get through it, which is like a – sorry, but like a huge testament about how like resilient we are and women in Uh general. And like, you know, I'm not – you know, I'm a feminist. Yes, I'm not like a man hater, but I am definitely a feminist. And I'm like, listen, ladies, like – we are amazing. And I see like mm-hmm. every single day, I'm just like blown away by like the strength and the resilience and the vulnerability and like the inspiration that my patients bring to the table. I mean, they're here like doing it all with like these symptoms yeah. that are life altering. Yeah. I, it, it, this, this reminds me of a, so I had very, very terrible hemorrhoids throughout my first pregnancy and uh, going in like after labor, I had um, three thrombosed mm-hmm. hemorrhoids and Owie. it, I mean, it was just like, it was the worst thing in the world. And I think my son at, by the time when, when he was six weeks old, I was at a proctologist's office with him like in a car seat 
getting them excised mm. and he's screaming his head off and I'm just like with my hand like I'm like backwards on the I'm, oh I'm like God. face down on this thing but I'm like trying air. to soothe this baby oh. with my butt getting cut open oh, oh and I'm God. like I'm like I'm doing it right <laughs> I'm in it right now like somebody <laughs> I am in it and then like you don't get to go home and like rest and put ice on your booty and like have a glass of wine no like you have to take care of this baby yeah yeah, it was um but but you know that's that's just like one story and I, I feel know. like so many women have like so many so many so many worse stories too because when you think about prolapse and then I mean there's just so many other things that I know that like my terrible hemorrhoids are just you know one one thing that sucked uh, about postpartum but um I guess like you know, if we talk about like what we can do, like what are things that we can do while we're pregnant that will help our pelvic floor manage the stress we're putting it in? I mean, come to pelvic floor PT. <laughs> I mean, I think like <laughs> if that's an option, I mean, the thing that I'm seeing now a lot in the clinic, which is like making me, you know, so happy is this like kind of shift towards prevention and like preparation. You know, I am getting right. like a lot of moms coming in with pregnancy being like, you know what, it's my first baby. Not really having a lot of symptoms, but like I like to do X, Y, and Z. I'm concerned about these two things. You know, I've read about this. I've heard about this. You know, like can we start to address it now? And part of what we do is like just education about like what are true facts out there because on the internet you can get whatever the hell you want and it's not always yep. like appropriate information or you know, just not um, from credible sources. And it can be super overwhelming. And that's what like installs, I think, fear. Like I'm scared of this. I'm scared to do this. I'm scared to do this. So a lot of times it's just like proper education and knowledge about those things and like not making decisions based on fear and figuring out like what's good for your body, your goals, and like what state you're in currently. Everybody's so different. Um, So there's a lot of things that we can do in pregnancy. Um, you know, just basic stuff like how you should be pooping or how you should be like lifting your grocery bags. Or if you have another baby, how you should be holding the baby when you're pregnant or things to think about when you're like positions for sleeping that are advantageous for you. If you're having like back or pubic bone issues or, you know, whatever the case may be, what exercises Mm -hmm. are safe and appropriate to do during pregnancy, given your situation and, you know, like ACOG guidelines and that sort of thing. Right. Um, prep, Preparation for delivery, how to push effectively. What does that mean to push? What does bearing down feel like to you? What positions are the best positions for you to bear down in? Because some people get a better bearing down in side lying versus squatting or semi-reclined versus on all fours. So we practice all of that stuff. Do a lot of like partner training on if you're having a partner in the delivery room, things that your partner can do to assist you in those positions. So when you do it, it's not like the first time you're doing it. So your partner knows how to like support your leg and your back now. So like you're not in the hospital having contraction and like your partner's like awkwardly lifting your hip and you're like, oh my God, don't touch me there. Like you've already done it. You know what I mean? Like I remember I ripped, oh my God, I had like the worst, I had this, I was having this like really bad hip cramp when I was like, ready to deliver my son and this nurse who I like hadn't seen at all in the 24 hours that I was there like came in and like wrenched my leg up and over to the side and my I don't really remember this but my husband said I just like looked at her I was like don't touch my leg and she like (laughs) 
when she like put the leg, my leg down and like left the room and I never saw her again. And I was like, oh, I do not remember that. But like, that's not what you want to be like thinking about in the middle. You want right. to be like in a comfortable position, just like we do with athletes. We practice. Right. We practice. We practice. We practice. We practice. So when it's game time, we're familiar. Our brain is like, yes, I've been here before. I'm safe. I'm supported. I know what to do. Instead of just being like, oh, I have no idea. Like, what like where is my leg supposed to be like what the hell is happening how do I bear down how do I breathe like it's not like a new thing so that I think is yeah like that all that stuff is great and then like you know perineal massage internal um like pelvic floor release positions and stretches that like prime the pelvic floor um for like you know reduced risk of perineal trauma you know that sort of thing so there's so many things so wait i'm i have a question yeah. do you do like let's say i'm pregnant i'm eight months pregnant or let's say i'm six months pregnant yeah. and i'm seeing you is when is it appropriate to start perineal massage and is that something that you do for your clients yeah i do it all the time so okay yes and i think this depends on the clinician for sure i choose okay. to do it um for my clients, one, because I can reach the area better than they can when you're right, right. Um, so, yeah, especially when right, right. you're like, oh, there's no way I'm sticking my thumb in my vagina. Like, you're crazy, <laughs> but like, I can do it, so it's fine. Um, so, yes, I will do it. Literature shows there's the literature is kind of like all over the place with perineal massage. There are some studies that show that it doesn't do anything, um, and then there are other studies that show it does significantly reduce the risk of perineal trauma or decreases like the severity of a perineal trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes health providers will only do perineal massage like in the delivery room, like when it's time. And right. um, then sometimes like things can happen, like there can be some swelling um, and that can be a little bit uncomfortable. And sometimes we see like tearing in those situations. But the studies that show perineal massage being done about 32, 34 weeks on consistently are what are showing support and evidence for doing it. So if it's safe for you to have internal work done, which basically just means, you know, you're still, you're not on pelvic rest, you're having sex still, you know, there's Mm -hmm. no infection, your cervix is closed, you know, blah, blah, blah. Then I, it's safe for us to do it. Cause one, we don't go anywhere near the cervix. We're just, I'm going in like one knuckle to the perineum Two, sex is like way more aggressive than penetrative. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm yes. Um, and then third, you know, it's again, a a time to practice. Um, And so there actually are devices out there. Um, They're not approved in the U.S., but in the U.K. and Australia, there's um, something called Epino. I don't know if you've heard of this. No. It's amazing. I want it. I like, I have a friend that lives in London. I was like, buy them all and send them to me. (laughs) She's like, you are crazy. I was like, you'll save so many vaginas. Um, It's basically like, it's like a balloon. It's like a kind of like a rubber balloon that you put like right at the first layer of the pelvic floor, kind of right opening at the vagina. And then you like pump it up. So it gets like bigger as you can tolerate. So it's just kind of like gradual stretching of the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, And it's amazing. And so I wish that we had it here. You can, I think you can get it in Canada. And like I said, in the UK and Australia, but um, that's like another way to just continue to like practice stretching. And even if we're not 
I mean, we're not going to, I'm not going to stretch the pelvic floor to the level of like how big it's going to go to let a baby's head out. Right. But what we're doing is like increasing softness of the tissue, decreasing sensitivity, increasing blood flow, you know, having the woman bear down with that sensation, starting to get familiar of like pressure down there, you know, all the things that like make us more prepared and kind of like more ready. Um, but I'm not like ripping, like I'm not like wrenching open right. like perineums, you know, but it can be a little right. bit uncomfortable for sure. I mean, a lot of my patients have to kind of breathe through it and it's a perfect time to practice like breathing down and controlling your heart rate and bearing down and that sort of thing. So yeah, I do it a hundred percent if it's safe. Okay. And oftentimes like, you know, I like to have the MD sign off on it and get clearance right. too, um, just for safety purposes, but yeah, I'll do it. And your recommendation is to start that around 32 to 34 weeks. Yeah, okay. I think so. I'll give you plenty of time. No rush. And then I am curious about um, if you could kind of explain diaphragmatic breathing and the importance for the pelvic floor and TVA. Yes. So, yes. So TVA is the transverse abdominis muscle. And the pelvic floor, so when we're talking about Kegels, this is what we're talking about. Like a, a, mm-hmm. like the Dr. Kegel, like back in the day, <laughs> came up with this, like he noticed the pelvic floor does this contraction. So he like named it after himself, which, you know, good for him. Like I wish- <laughs> I didn't know that. That's Yeah, great. it's true. His name is Arnold Kegel. I wish that it was like okay. the Marcy. I mean, how cool would that be? It's like- <laughs> Make sure you're doing your mercies. Um, but so, so yes, yeah, so that's where that came from. Um, he was like a urologist or something. Um, oh. Or maybe a urogyne. I don't know. I can't remember. Maybe an OB. Who knows? Doesn't matter. But he, did, he came up with it. So he coined this term. Um, so when the pelvic floor contracts or you do a Kegel, the muscles on both sides come in to the like midline to the vaginal canal and up. And in a perfect world, they work together with the transverse abdominis or the TVA, which is like the deepest abdominal muscle. It's like a corset and it sits Mm -hmm. underneath your six pack abs. So when you properly engage transverse and the pelvic floor, we get a more optimal pelvic floor contraction and more like um, kind of proper functioning of like the core and the like trunk stability muscles, as opposed to like only doing abdominals and or like only squeezing your vagina. Like if you're just sitting and squeezing your vagina and not doing anything else, then it's not as functional and doesn't really do what we want it to be doing, which is why you shouldn't right. just like do 500 squeezes a day. Thank you, Cosmopolitan Magazine. Um, exactly. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. In a tight <laughs> vagina, do Kegels all the time. It's like, really? We don't? Do 500 bicep curls every day. Wouldn't do that with my vagina. Right. Okay. Um, so <laughs> that's fine. So with the diaphragm, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor, they all work together. So as we're using our diaphragm to help like our lungs expand and exhale, the pelvic floor moves in concert with the diaphragm. So a lot of times when we're trying to um, – like lengthen and um, release the pelvic floor, we add in like exaggerated kind of diaphragmatic breath. Um, So like on an inhale, when you're filling your belly up with air, the pelvic floor kind of descends. And then on an exhale, sometimes if you make like a shh 
sound like shh that helps us get transverse abdominis and then pelvic floor comes on. So mm. those systems have to work with the breath because when we're moving around, <laughs> we're breathing hopefully, and we still need like the stability and the strength of the core and the pelvic floor with the breath. We can't, and so a lot of times what I see when I'm teaching people how to do this right away is this like compensatory strategy of like <gasps> kind of taking this like big inhale and like flaring your ribs and trying to like suck your belly in by like inhaling and extending your upper spine with like the hope of mm-hmm. like ugh, kind of drawing everything in and then contracting when in fact it should be the opposite. It should be like a drawing right. of your abdomen and your pelvic floor. And then your the breath should also be able to go normally with those other two factors. I remember the first time I had heard about diaphragmatic breathing was from my pelvic floor mm-hmm, PT mm-hmm. after my second baby, yep. and um, sh- like I you know I, with my first one I had painful sex for a year and I just thought that was normal right. and dreaded every minute of the thought of having sex even though I love my husband and he is just the sexiest man on earth. Like I was like emotionally gearing up for this like painful moment. And it was like as soon as we got through like a certain – I'm like I'm sure it was just scar tissue. But as soon as we like got through something, it was like then it was like tolerable. But like getting to that point was – I mean who wants to have tolerable sex? Like nobody. Um, I mean he doesn't even want to have tolerable sex. But but like I – you know, I think that that's just like one – like so after my my second kid, I was like I'm going to be very proactive about this. Like I don't want to have painful sex for a year. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be able to, to, to be excited about it and I'm going to go to pelvic floor PT. And so I went and she was like, you have a hypotonic um, pelvic floor. Like it was like very tight, right? Like that's – is that what that term Yes. Is? Yeah. Non-relaxing pelvic floor, hypertonic pelvic yes. floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short and tight, yeah. all the things. She, and so she's like, you know, what would be really good for you is um, diaphragmatic breathing. Like it's just, just something you need to like figure out how to do is how to relax your pelvic floor. And I was like, what? Like, you know, it's funny because I spent the last, you know, six to eight weeks like doing all of this pelvic floor training, which which was really good for the obviously me just peeing right. hands <laughs> when I was jumping on a trampoline. But it was also like I just even through all this training, like I didn't I had never heard of how di- like diaphragmatic breathing would impact like me and I remember being like oh my god this is so yeah totally and like the breath is very powerful and a lot of times like my patients I'm like okay listen I'm gonna teach you how to breathe and I know that like (laughs) this is you're gonna like roll your eyes at me and you're gonna give me the side eye and you're gonna be like this lady is crazy like what is she doing like I don't want to just learn sit here for 20 minutes and learn how to breathe but like it's so important and like really the foundation of proper movement is like incorporating like the breath and proper breathing strategies. And a lot of times women, we tend to be upper chest breathers versus belly breathers. And Mm -hmm. especially in pregnancy, we start to breathe like that because our lungs are squished up into our ribs and we can't get our diaphragm down (laughs) because there's a freaking human in there. So we start to do these like compensatory strategies. So just like relearning how to breathe appropriately with the diaphragm and filling the lungs is really like kind of the first step in all of this. And so many times people are like, okay, yes, I get it. Like that's super important. I was like, great. Otherwise you're going to walk around all day holding your breath when you're trying to contract your pelvic floor and Mm -hmm. like, well, that's not going to help anyone. So yeah, it's really, the breath is like super important. Um, 
and oftentimes uh, kind of looked over, I think. And I get it. I mean, like, it's hard to lay down and or sit still for like 10 minutes and concentrate on proper breathing when you have like a newborn or two kids or you're working and you have kids. Like, it's hard to do that, but um, it's like a huge piece of it. Yeah. So I have, I have one last pregnancy-related okay. question, and then I just want to – we'll skip over to postpartum. But um, one of the things that I think is pretty common, but it doesn't get a ton of, like, airtime is pubic sy- synthesis diastasis. Uh-huh. I had it very badly in my first pregnancy and then even worse in my second pregnancy. And I still exercised, but – it was very painful and the like the day or the day after I worked out, I was just like in agony. And so I'm curious is like what what I can do as I like think about my third mm-hmm. pregnancy. I'm not pregnant, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to get pregnant. So I, I like, like to avoid this because like I, I mean, I obviously believe so much in, in pregnancy exercise and I just yeah. – I to be able to work out up until the day I deliver and I know that I was just in like putting my underwear on yeah I know and sitting on like one foot and trying to like get your pants yes oh gosh yes so the pubic symphysis is basically the junction in the front kind of where like our pelvic bones meet and there's a little piece of cartilage in there that kind of holds things together and um absorbs a lot of shock so like when we're walking and we have ground reaction forces that go up the leg, it goes up through the leg and like through the pelvic girdle and the pubic symphysis, which is why when you have to stand on one foot or like get into a car or climb into a bathtub Mm -hmm. or like swing your leg around and have kind of like an opening or asymmetrical, asymmetrical opening, we tend to get some of that like either sharpshooting pain or kind of like Mm -hmm. that all over like achiness later um, or that pain like after we're walking um, for long periods of time. So, you know, it is normal, quote unquote, to have a little bit of separation during delivery so the baby can just like kind of mechanically get back down there. But what we see during pregnancy too is that sometimes we have like a little bit too much um, and then that can cause pain at the joint. Um, there is a hormonal factor too because, you know, our body is prepping for delivery. Everything's a little bit more mobile. We have a little bit more laxity. Sometimes people might have more laxity in some joints compared to others, which is why some people have pain and some people don't. Um, and then your adductors, like the inner thigh muscles, attach up to the pubic bone. So sometimes we see some like tendonitis um, of those muscles at their attachment points, like kind of right on the inside, like where the muscles come up and attach to the bone, which can cause some pain and pulling also. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think like we take it day by day and see how this next pregnancy goes. Um, There are some like (laughs) positional things to avoid, you know, like I probably wouldn't be doing side lunges or like you know, like standing on one leg and doing, um, you know, like uh, any sort of like kind of bar one-legged situation. Um, right. right. Just anything yeah, single I leg, would, right? I mean, <laughs> right, basically. But here's the thing. Like the, with the problem with absolutes is that it's not true. I mean, like they're, you know, like okay. everybody's so different. So I would say like, you know, get into pelvic, go back and see your pelvic floor tea or come and see me. Um, and we can like figure mm-hmm. out what is like appropriate for you and what isn't. Um, there are ways to like get in and out of bed that put a little bit of like less strain on the joint. There are 
belts and some support garments that we can use that just gives us a little bit more like force closure and a little bit more compression on that joint. So you can be active without like straining it so much, that sort of thing. We talk about like positions for delivery that would decrease the amount of strain on the pubic symphysis and then what to do right after the baby is born. So we're decreasing the strain on it and that sort of thing. So, I mean, it's hard. I don't, I like never like to say you should never do X, Y, and Z and you should never do it like this, but you know, we just think of like normal mechanics, normal physics, the demand on the joint, you know, how you're presenting and then kind of come up with a plan. But I would say like generally, like I probably wouldn't be doing like side, like a lot of like side lunges with weights Mm -hmm. or like, you know what I mean? Like a lot of kind of groin stretching, like super far out where you're separating even more or like, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but like I said, different, different for every, everybody, but very painful. It can be very painful. I will say that hilariously with both of them, um, the moment the baby was out, mm. it, like, I never had You're that like, pain again. Uh, it was like, I, I which is, I'm so yeah. thankful that like right after delivery, it was just done. Yeah. But, but it was just, it was such a, such a, And I know like some, I, we get a lot of the, we'll get like DMs about it as well. And I'm like, Oh, I know. I know it's so hard. And sometimes like we just can't, like we do the best we can. And it's like baby, it's like all baby, you know, like where the baby's Mm -hmm. head is. Like maybe the baby's head is like right there, you know? And like, I can't change that necessarily, but we can like treat some of the stuff around it. So sometimes we just have to like put some ice on there, you know, and like slap a belt on you and like, be cognizant of how we're getting in and out of bed and lifting and that sort of thing. And then just kind of reduce the symptoms with, but also like move as much as we can in like a safe way. Cause we don't want to just like stop moving. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. That's, that's, by the way, I just realized I have like a um, hundred more questions and <laughs> – We got to do a two-part series, Sarah. I feel like we're going to need to do a two-part yeah. series if, if, yeah, if you're up it. for that. So. You're like, oh my God. Would... I know. It's always like we, we have to do a three-hour podcast and listeners are like, oh my God, she's still talking. But <laughs> – it's it's like a straight up um what's his name oh my god I can't believe I'm blanking on it but he um my like a husband listens to him and he's like Joe Rogan oh, has uh, like three and a half uh. hour podcasts <laughs> like but anyway um so I'll I'm gonna we're gonna plan on doing a round okay. two um let's let me just ask you one thing about okay. postpartum because I think. I want to talk about tearing because this is like something that women are very scared. I mean, tearing and episiotomies. And so I just want to talk about like what, like what are the different levels of tearing? What can we expect? And then what can we do after to make sure that we're taking good care of ourselves? Yes. Um, Okay. So do you want to talk about episiotomy too or what? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, so let's do episiotomy first, and then we'll just do like a quick okay. <laughs> perineal tear, just a quick dabble in there. Um, okay. Perfect. So a episiotomy is basically an is an incision um, that the physician will make sometimes at the bottom of the vaginal canal, kind of like right midline, and the thought okay. of the episiotomy they used to be done routinely. Okay. Like basically which means like everybody got them all the Mm -hmm. time. Um, 
And the thought of doing an episiotomy for women was basically that it would prevent like further tearing, which could be worse than it that, you know, could be worse than an episiotomy. Um, and that it was like easier to get the baby out. Cause you would just like cut the bottom of the pelvic floor and then the baby would just like fly out. But what they started <laughs> noticing with these women was that patients who were undergoing routine episiotomies were having a lot more pain postpartum difficulty sitting pain with sex, bowel and bladder issues. Um, and like outcomes were not very good. So they stopped doing them, thank God, routinely. Um, because they would do, mm-hmm. like, it would be kind of like a, it's a major incision. It would go like kind of sometimes all the way down to like yeah. perineal opening, be right through the perineal body. And the perineal body is an important piece of structure because the first layer of the pelvic floor comes and attaches right through the, the perineal body. So if you cut right through it, you're cutting like a bunch of muscle attachments. Um, and then like scar tissue development could be, you know, an issue and that can be very painful for women. So they stopped doing them routinely and they're noticing that people are getting better because what we find is that when we have a tear, a perineal tear is that oftentimes, again, generally, this is not everyone, but just generally what we see is that the perineum will tear oftentimes like to the side and not midline. So if we have like a unilateral mm. tear, it's not affecting necessarily, you know, like the perineal body, it's just kind of affecting one side. And oftentimes they're not as significant as the episiotomy in terms of like depth and how far they're going. Um, there are grade three and grade four tears, which are significant and goes through the anal tissue. So like yeah, I know this is like this is where I'm like afraid. This is like where I don't want to scare anyone. But third degree oh. tears are kind of broken up into like three A, three B, and three C. But generally, we see a disruption of the anal sphincter in third degree tears. A three A tear is less than fifty percent of the external anal sphincter. Three B is greater than fifty percent of the external sphincter, and then three C is like the external sphincter and the internal sphincter is torn. Um, fourth for, I know it's, this is like gnarly fourth degree tears. You have all of the above with the third degree, but then you also disrupt the anal epithelium, which is a little bit more significant and like very, very painful. Now the third and fourth degree tears are not as common as first and second degree tears. Um, uh, but they still can happen. So episiotomies are still done when there's like medical necessity, you know, and I think, um, like they're a tool that can be used if needed. And some people do need them. Um, but for like a routine sort of delivery, you know, we don't just do them anymore. Um, like we used to, thank God. And by we, I mean the medical community, not physical therapists, like we're not cutting anyone's parents. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right, right, um, right. but tearing, so the thought now, like kind of retroactively looking back at the literature and kind of what we're seeing with outcome, the thought that tearing could be like a little bit um, better for the woman than performing a routine episiotomy because we're not going so far as the episiotomy. And sometimes we just have like a superficial tear or like no tearing at all. Um, you know, I see plenty of women who don't have mm-hmm. any sort of perineal tearing. Um, I personally had a second degree tear with both of my children. Um, yeah. So I went into the perineum, but I didn't go into the anal sphincter with 
with them. Um, so, you know, and which is pretty impressive, by the oh way, for two to, for to the second one just that like you had. flew out. I mean, like he was like it was the first one that was like so hard, but like my ten pound baby when he flew out, I was like, wow, I could have that was easy. I could have done that again, but I was definitely like primed. I think from the first one, like he's the one. The first one is the one that like did everything. Right, he, like dance. He did all of it. So the second one was just like woohoo, like slip and slide out. Like, here I come. Here I Play come. Play room and down here. Um. So. Yeah. So like, so I think, um, but like any sort of tear is significant from like a muscle function standpoint. And again, if we go back to this example that I used before about full thickness rotator cuff tears, when we're having these sort of Mm -hmm. thickness muscle tear, like a second degree tear, even, you know, we have involvement of the perineal muscles, you know, and that's requires repair with stitches. Um, those muscles need to be rehabbed just like we would rehab a shoulder, but it's not like, you know, given kind of routinely. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of where we are in like tearing and, um, episiotomies. Um, yeah, but I mean, the tearing can, I mean, it, it can affect lots of things, pain, function of the muscles, incontinence, either urinary, fecal or gas. Um, just coordination and timing of the muscles, um, con- proper functioning with the abdominal wall, all those things. Um, and of course, if you had a repair, you know, the first couple of days are, can be a little bit sore as I'm sure you have experienced. And then like that yep. first or second, you know, poop after delivery. Oh, poop. Yeah. Oh God. Um, with hemorrhoids too is like pretty. Oh. So like, um, that all, is all stuff that we can be helping women with. Um, so there you go. So that's my, yes. So that's, that's, yes. that's kind of the tearing anatomy. Okay. No, that's, that's <laughs> it's like, I hate to end on like, yeah, I hate to end on like, like, Oh, what do you tear? Like tear into your anus. But but see, DMPT, right? DMPT, it's gonna be okay. I mean, I've seen you know plenty of women with third and fourth degree tears that were having a lot of difficulty after baby and um, doing great now. So, I mean, there's definitely like hope, and you know, we work together with our medical colleagues and we do everything we can. But PT is imperative, imperative. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, we're gonna do okay. we're gonna do a round two because I, I want to get into like the um, I want to get into like very specific questions. Yeah. Um, like yeah, I've been cleared. Totally. What do I? You know, so, but I but I, I want to be conscious of your time. Um, yes, but thank course. you so much for coming on. I feel like this is you're in a field that is the one of most like like if not the most important part of yeah. being a mom yeah. and getting pregnant and you know like I think like for us to be functioning in the optimal yeah. way totally. like we need to see someone like you so why don't you tell everyone yes, where they yes, can find course. you okay, so I um so again my name is Marcy Crouch I'm a pelvic floor PT here in Los Angeles um the clinic that I own is called restorative pelvic physical therapy um, the website is the name of the clinic, restorativepelvicphysicaltherapy.com. Longest name ever. Did not think that through when I got the <laughs> domain name. Not very smart of me. Not a business person, just a vagina PT, everyone. Um, so that is my website. I'm on Instagram as um, the down there doc. So you can find me on Instagram as the down there doc. And then I'll post on Instagram, you know, when I have blog posts up, my blog is on my website as well. And you can contact me either through Instagram 
or through, you know, like an email on my blog, um, um, email on my website. Um, but those are kind of the two main avenues. The clinic is on Facebook as well, but I like, I can't, I, yeah, I don't, I like, don't know how. And I'm like, I can't, I don't have time. Like I can only manage like one thing at a time. So, one channel. Yeah. So I'm basically on Instagram most of the time, you know, I hate to say it. Um, and, and all my clinic information is there. I see patients from out of town. I have patients that fly in to see me sometimes. So we can definitely work out like an out of town thing if you're outside of the LA area. Um, and, um, I, yeah, so that's what I do. That's where I am. Yes. Well, thank you so much. And I will look forward to our next conversation. Yes, me too. Round two. Okay, that's all for today. If you found this episode helpful, please, please, please share it with your mama friends and write a review. Also, be sure to subscribe to the Juno Women podcast on Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening now. If you're pregnant or postpartum, you can download the Juno app for tailored follow-along workouts and nutrition advice just for this period of your life. The app is available in the iOS app store. If you're looking to connect with other Juno moms, check out the Juno Moms Facebook group. Lastly, if you know someone who you think would be a fantastic guest on the show, please let us know on Twitter at Juna underscore app or email me directly at sarah at juna.co. See you next week.